rewarding careers, experiences of a lifetime. Explore Travel PT at ariusmedical.com. A-U-R-E-U-S-Medical.com. NPTE StudyCast. Uh, welcome to NPTE StudyCast. I'm your host, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. We're uh, bringing you some content today so you can not only survive the NPTE, but thrive on there. And we do want to remind you guys that there are free downloadable infographics and study guides available in the show notes of this episode that will mimic. So if you're like me and you're kind of a visual and audio person, you can uh, read while you listen along. Bringing on the show is uh, David Shirey. David, welcome to the program, man. Thank you very much for having me, Jimmy. I appreciate the opportunity. Give everybody your, your quick superhero backstory. You know, what kind of a physical therapist are you and, and who you get to, to work with? I am orthopedic specialist, manual therapy fellow. I did all my training here at Brooks Rehab in Jacksonville, Florida, after I graduated from East Tennessee State University. Um, primarily orthopedic population that I work with, some sports every now and again, but primarily orthopedics. Love it. So you're perfect for this particular topic today. Uh, not the easiest one to say or spell, spondylolisthesis. <laughs> all right, I made it through there with all those uh, S's. When you go to describe that pathology, what do you typically say, David? An anterior translation, or you'll see it described as a slippage of one vertebrae relative to the inferior vertebrae. Yeah, all those S's in spondylolisthesis, you slippage in there and just keep that in the front of your brain whenever you see that word pop up. That's right. There's one more app. All right. So we're talking about displacement of vertebrae. So if we're looking at anatomy, what's involved, we know the vertebrae is part of that. What other things uh, come into play with spondylolisthesis? The overarching piece is, like you said, the vertebrae. And if you think about the way the vertebral column is, having an idea of the cervical spine lordosis, in our cases, the lumbar lordosis, thinking about how that S curve in there is supposed to be, that's what you're going to register as being anteriorly translated or not. There's some bony blocks associated with that, like the facets, for instance. You'll have some ligamentous blocks like the anterior longitudinal ligament, the iliolumbar ligament, but then there are also some important muscular components as well, so you can have an instability that can also allow anterior translation under a physiologic load. A bunch of different causes that can actually bring about a spondylolisthesis. If we can go through these pretty briefly, we'll start congenital. That's, that's always an option. So you can have a congenital issue, which would be described as a dysplasia of a lumbar and a sacral arch and the facet joint. You can have a pathologic process, so there can be issues with bone mineralization that can contribute to the weakening of things like the pars, the pedicles, and the facet joints again themselves. You can have a degenerative component. So typically, these are going to be your older patients with diminished joint spaces, but not unlike what you would see in any other degenerative condition. You can have a trauma, like a fracture or an acute dislocation, so you know, fall, car accident, and the like. There's also an ismic classification, which is a defect in the pars or an elongation of the pars, which allows for, again, more translation. How about location? Is there somewhere that this typically pops up more than other locations? Typically, more of the literature will denote an L5S1 is more common to have it. Spondylolisthesis. Part of that is because of the sacral angle relative to the horizontal. So there'll be a 40 degree anterior and inferior orientation of the sacrum while you're in standing. So you can imagine how if somebody were to go into lumbosacral extension or an anterior pelvic tilt, 
you would actually have more shear loading at that segment from a standing position if you think about the way that gravity passes through, puts pressure on the facet. Let's look into it in terms of proving or disproving or really, you know, I guess grading, you know, looking at a spondylolisthesis. Where does your head go there, David? The primary identification of this is going to be with imaging. They can use a CT or plane films, particularly the lateral view. So the grading is from a one to a four, and those are going to be increments of percentages. So grade one would be a zero to 25%. Grade two is a 25 to 50%. Three is 50 to 75 and four is 75 to 100%. And again, you're looking at the body shifting anteriorly relative to the inferior vertebrae. So they'll actually measure that as a percentage of the vertebral body. Some of the ways that we may identify this from a clinical perspective, it's going to be mechanical in nature, typically worse with activities where there's more repetitive extension and even a combined rotation component. So I think about like a gymnast or an elite baseball player. Oftentimes, the repeated extension can provoke the symptoms, which will give you the mechanical component. It's from a manual perspective of I'm trying to identify a specific segment. I'll do some PA glides to try to isolate if there's particular segments or not that may be painful um, when I perform that maneuver. You can also do a UPA as well if you suspect there's one side or more that's bothersome. Uh, but this will just help to cue you in on specific segments. Differential diagnosis, a lot of times the NPTE will give you something that looks similar to something else. What else could spondylolisthesis look like or possibly be confused with? First thing that we want to do certainly would be to rule out red flags. So sometimes patients who present with this may have like a cotyquinus syndrome, essentially. So that's going to be a neural compression that you'll recall of the spinal cord. The migration has to be quite a bit in order to generate that. So you don't see that very often, but it is something that you do want to rule out. So in order to do that, we're going to screen for dermatomes, myotomes, and reflexes that are going to give us information about the spinal segments. Obviously, we want to make sure there's no upper motor neuron lesions or deficits. So hyperreflexia, Davinsky's, Hoffman's, ataxic gait, we want to at least ask about that. Of course, if there are symptoms down the legs, we need to rule out vascular and uh, neurogenic claudication, which we can do with a treadmill or bike test. And those are going to be exceedingly rare. That's something that you might see on the test that you'll want to be able to differentiate those particular pathologies. Working with uh, individuals with spondylolisthesis, uh, treatment examples, the things that you'll be able to do with them as a physical therapist in clinic, where does your head go there? So recall that the anterior slippage of the vertebrae is primary issue. So we want to think about ways that we can alleviate either the strain that's associated with that or really to get them out of the position that's going to keep aggravating that. A sample question, everybody's favorite part of the show. How might this appear on the NPTE if the question was about spondylolisthesis? You know, which of the following is the most likely diagnosis for the patient in the vignette below? A 14-year-old female gymnast has increased focal low back pain in the midline with performing back bends during her warm-up. Her pain has began gradually but worsened over the last two months. She's in mid-season for gymnastics. She has no radiating LE symptoms, denies weakness, numbness, paresthesia, and bowel bladder dysfunction. She feels better with rest and especially sitting after her practice is concluded. 
So some of the choices might be a disc herniation or a spondylolisthesis or a spinal tumor or a scoliosis. Okay. Answer there would be spondylolisthesis. Just give us one or two of those flags that uh, would make your ears perk up in that vignette with the 14-year-old female gymnast that says, yeah, this is spondylolisthesis. It rules out disc herniation. It's not the spinal tumor. It's not scoliosis. What, what points you in that direction? The big thing for me is the young age. So the likelihood of something more sinister might be a little bit lower down on my list right mm-hmm. there. The biggest thing I would say is the back bend during the warm-up. So we talked about how when the vertebrae is translated anteriorly, going back into extension is going to further apply shear loading to the lumbar segment. So that would certainly re-aggravate the symptoms. And so the fact that she doesn't have the radiating symptoms makes me feel better about something not pushing on any of the spinal components in terms of the nerves. Also being in mid-season, too, the fact that she's been doing that repeatedly for a while, you know, would, would cue me in that, okay, this is a repetitive mechanical loading type of situation. Sounds good. Uh, taking an inside look at spondylolisthesis with David. Uh, David, appreciate your time, and uh, I think this will be really helpful for the students on the exam. Thank you so much, Jimmy. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Download free study guides now at ariusmedical.com slash NPTE studycast. A-U-R-E-U-S medical.com slash NPTE studycast. Rewarding careers, experiences of a lifetime. Explore travel PT at ariusmedical.com. NPTE studycast. Brewed by the PT Pinecast.